Last Sunday, I shared with you one of the favorite verses I have from the Old Testament. Let me now give you a favorite verse from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Would you read it together with me? But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word that is the root word behind this word victory, interestingly enough, is the word Nike. Isn't that interesting? Long before Nike referred to a shoe company, this word stood for the conquest, the triumph, the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, we will never think the same about this word the next time we see it, will we? And it's interesting, in the context of 1 Corinthians 15, the two enemies that Jesus has Nike'd, if I can use an expression like that, are sin and death. So what this verse is telling us is that the two greatest enemies of the believer have been defeated. Therefore, we need fear nothing else. If our two greatest enemies have been conquered, then Jesus will lead us victoriously through everything else. Before the Savior went to the cross, it was His desire to teach this lesson to His disciples. The way he did that was in the greatest prayer that he ever prayed. This morning we are coming to the last chapter in the Last Supper series. It is the prayer of Jesus. This is the greatest prayer that has ever been prayed. Think of this. We are being led in on God the Son, praying to God the Father. If there was ever holy ground That is surely holy ground. And this is the greatest prayer that has ever been recorded. Now, its purpose is to reinforce the very last message of Jesus in John 16. Would you turn your Bibles to John 16? And notice the very last words of Jesus to the disciples. And he is now just hours from the cross. And listen to what he says to them and says to us. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, everything that we have seen in the Last Supper discourse, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I like what Pastor Warren Wiersbe has to say about this verse in relationship to Jesus' great prayer. Listen to what he says. No matter what events occurred later that evening, this prayer makes it absolutely clear that Jesus was and is the overcomer. He was not a victim. He was and he is the victor. The word world is used 19 times in the prayer in John 17. 
So it is very easy to see the connection between the prayer and John 16:33. If you and I will understand and imply the truths that are revealed in this profound prayer, it will enable us to be overcomers too. Aren't you glad you came this morning? I don't often feel like an overcomer, but this prayer says that I am one. Now Jesus, in this wonderful prayer, prays for three things. Number one, he prayed for himself. Number two, he prayed for his apostles, and then he prayed for all of us, future believers like you and me. And we're going to take each segment one at a time. Today we're going to look as Jesus prays for himself. And what he is going to teach us is how he achieved the victory and became the overcomer for you and me. Follow me along now as I read verses 1 to 5 here in John 17. Let's listen together as we step into holy ground. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Let's bow in prayer for a moment. Gracious Lord, wherever we experience victory, we also have contentment. Wherever we are overcomers, we also are comforted. And wherever we have entered into some kind of a triumph, that gives us great courage. But Lord, we confess that in the trials and difficulties of our lives, we often are not content. We do not feel comforted. And we lack the courage to face the world as we ought to. What a blessing for us to come and to recognize that Jesus has already achieved the victory so that in all those circumstances, we can be overcomers. Teach us now today as he prays for himself. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice as Jesus begins this prayer, the first way that he has achieved victory and helps us to become overcomers is out of injustice, he has achieved the greatest glory. 
out of the wrong that he experienced. He has acquired the greatest glory that has ever been acquired. Now, all of us know that the cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest injustice the world has ever known. When Peter preached his great sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.23, he said, This Jesus you have crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And for the sinless Son of God to be murdered in that way is history's greatest wrong. When people claim, say that God has somehow uh, mistreated them, they are failing to understand that the greatest mistreatment that has ever happened is to what happened to God and His Holy Son when He was placed on the cross by cruel and wicked men. Now, none of us would ever look forward to that kind of death. The shame of that death, the pain of that death, the God-forsakenness in such a death. But the amazing thing is, the Bible is teaching us here, as Jesus prays, that Jesus was actually looking forward to the cross. By the way, isn't that an amazing thought? He was looking forward to the cross. Now, not the torture, not the searing pain, not the separation from the Father because He was bearing the sin of the world. All those things in the garden, Jesus said, let that cup, let that pass from me. But Jesus looked forward to the cross because of what He would accomplish that is what the Bible describes as the joy that was set before him. One Bible teacher puts it this way, Jesus is looking forward to the cross, but in a mood of hope and joy, not a mood of despondency. Now if we ask two, a simple question, why is Jesus looking forward to the cross? Verse 1 gives us two answers. Number one, the purpose of God for Jesus' coming was finally going to be accomplished. Look at verse 1. Jesus lifts up his eyes and he says, Father, the hour has come. All throughout Jesus' ministry, we have been uh, seeing this thing about his hour. In the Gospel of John, 26 times we see it. And it's interesting, the Last Supper discourse, it ends with this expression, His hour, and it begins with this expression, His hour. Turn back to chapter 13 for just a moment and look at verse 1. And right before the foot washing, notice what we read. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. It is as though this expression, our, our book ends. It starts his final words it concludes and starts his final prayer. What is the hour? Well, it's the hour of his suffering, his death, 
His resurrection, His return to the Father, and His enthronement at the right hand of the Father where He intercedes for us now. Jesus has talked about this over and over and over again, and now the hour has come. Do do you remember how many times His enemies would try to prematurely kill Him? Remember what happened? The Bible says His hour had not come. And Jesus was in total control. But now the hour has come, and what does the Lord Jesus do? He marches to meet it head on, doesn't he? And he prays here, not to escape the coming hour, but he prays for strength that he might go through this coming hour. By the way, do we learn something here about prayer? Don't pray and ask God to enable you to escape the trials. Pray and ask God to give you strength to go through the trials, right? Yes. Notice the second reason. The second reason that Jesus looks forward to the cross is because it would bring the greatest glory to God. He says in verse 1, Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Did you notice, by the way, as Jesus prays for Himself, this was His greatest request? His greatest request was that He would bring glory to God. By the way, here's another insight on prayer, right? Pray for the things that will glorify God. That's how we should pray. You see, what we learn here is the greatest reason for anyone to live is to bring glory to God. I mentioned in the first service that one of the greatest definitions I've ever read of what it means to glorify God was given by Charles Ryrie, author of the Ryrie Study Bible. By the way, he just died at 90 years of age. And he said glorifying God is showing God off. He had an ability to make things simple. What does it mean to glorify God? It means to show Him off. Now why was the cross the greatest crime in all of history, the greatest display of Jesus' glory and the greatest display of God's glory? It's because in the cross, in the resurrection, in the return to the Father, in His enthronement at the Father's right hand, all of the Father's attributes and Jesus' attributes come together in their greatest display. If you want to see the qualities of God displayed in their greatest glory, you come to the cross and the resurrection. In fact, I want you to notice how the Apostle Paul puts this together in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn there for just a moment and look with me at what he says starting in verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And notice what he says, we learn about God through the crucifixion and what it would lead to. 
Look at what Paul says. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, now notice this, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Drop down to verse 30. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. And what did this wisdom accomplish for us? Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Can we just stop right here? You want to see love? Jesus died for his enemies. Is there any greater love ever displayed? No. You want to see power? At the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus defeated sin, death, Satan, and hell. Is there any greater power? And you want to see wisdom. The sinless God-man became the perfect substitute so that sinners could be accounted righteous, sanctified, and redeemed. Let me ask you, is there any greater wisdom? Is there any greater wisdom? No. The greatest display of the attributes of God are found in the cross, the resurrection, the return to the Father, and the enthronement in glory. I once heard the famous black preacher, E.V. Hill, say this, God was at his best when he saved our souls. And that is absolutely true. Why is the glory of Christ seen the greatest in the cross and all that would come from it so that it becomes the greatest demonstration of the glory of God because God was at his best when he saved our souls? I love what the old-time pastor, Albert Barnes, said. It was a glorious Savior who died. It was glorious love that led him to die. It was a glorious object to redeem a world. And it is unspeakable glory to which he will raise lost and ruined sinners by his death. Oh, who would not glory in such a Savior? That's what Jesus was praying for. Now, you know what this means for you and me? The greatest wonder of the Christian life is we now have the privilege of glorifying God. In fact, the Bible says that for the Christian who knows Christ, even the smallest thing we do, if it is done to reflect upon our Lord, brings glory to God. I was at the university a couple of weeks ago, and I opened the door and held it for a college student who was coming in. As I held the door, right behind her was another college student. And as I held the door for her, right behind her was a third woman who was coming in. And as she came in, she said to me, the third one said, you're going to be standing there all day. 
and I smiled. But now think of this. If the little act of holding open a door for three women brings glory to God, it would be worth standing there all day to do it. How amazing this is. Sinners now redeemed by the glory of God and the glory of Christ have the joy of living every day for His glory. What an amazing, amazing victory is ours. Let's look at the second way that Jesus achieved victory. Number two, out of weakness, He achieved the greatest gift. Out of weakness, He achieved the greatest gift. Look at verse two. Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given Him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Did you notice that there are two gifts here? Most of the time when we think of eternal life, we think of one gift, but there are two gifts here. Eternal life is given to those the Father has given to the Son. Did you see that? Jesus has been given authority to give eternal life to all whom you, the Father, have given to Him. Did you notice this? There's not one gift, there is two. Before the Son ever gave each believer the gift of eternal life, the Father gave each believer to the Son. Uh, may I say to you this morning, does that blow your mind? Does that blow your mind? This truth is taught seven times in this prayer so that Jesus wanted us to find great comfort by it. Now, I've read the first time in verse 2. Let's just read the other six so that we will get the sense of what Jesus wanted us to get. Look down at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Drop down to verse 9. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. Drop down to verse 11. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in, in, your, in your name, which you have given me. Look at verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. And now drop down to verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. 
Do you know what this is? It is the great mystery of God's sovereign choosing for salvation those who will belong to Him. Now Jesus had taught this many times earlier. Turn back to chapter 6 for just a moment and notice how He had taught this, which He now prays many, many times earlier. Look at John 6 and verse 37 and notice this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Look at verse 65 in the same chapter. And he said, This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted by my Father. Believers are a love gift of the Father to the Son. And the Bible says we were given before the world began. Revelation 13.8 says our names were written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. The book of life is that book in the mind of God that contains all the names of the saved in the family of God. Uh, Paul in, in Philippians chapter 3 refers to the registry in heaven and he says that we are citizens of heaven and Jesus said to his disciples one day, he said, rejoice that your names have been written down in heaven and they were written before we were ever born. Now think about what this means. God planned our salvation. God chose us for salvation. God sent Jesus who then accomplished salvation and then in His time and in His purpose, God brought us to salvation. And all in that process, how many have been lost whom the Father gave to the Son? How many have been lost? Look at verse 12 with me. John 17 verse 12. How amazing this is. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except Judas, the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. God does the saving God does the keeping. Not one is lost. Jesus guards everyone. Now, brothers and sisters, let me say to you this morning, I do not fully understand this mystery. But I cannot get over the fact that I am a love gift of the Father 
to the Son. How can you get over that? How can you get over the fact that as a believer, you are a love gift of the Father to the Son? Bible teacher R.C. Sproul puts it so wonderfully. Look at what he says. Ponder the mystery of this. Ultimately, the reason God has saved you and me is for the honor and glory of His Son. The goal in creation is that God would give as a gift to His Son many who are reborn into Christ's likeness. Now, brothers and sisters, I knew that eternal life was Christ's gift to me, but I am dumbfounded that I am the Father's gift to Christ. I am dumbfounded by that. By the way, what would God want with me? Right? What in all the world would God want with me? But now that He has me, from His eternal counsel to this very day, now that He has me, I want to live for His glory. I want to live for His glory. You see, that is the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. By the way, if we are to ask the question, what is eternal life? Verses 2 and 3 are the last two times in this gospel that that expression occurs. Seventeen times in the gospel of John, it talks about eternal life. Now the last two times are verses 2 and 3. And the most wonderful definition of eternal life I think I've ever seen in the Bible is right here in verse 3. Look at it with me. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Look at what is involved in eternal life. Let me ask you today, do you have this life? If this is why God sent the Son, and this is the greatest glory that has ever been achieved, and the greatest gift that could ever be given, do you have this life? Look at what's involved. It's an intimate, personal, growing knowledge of the Father and the Son. When he says it means to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, the word know there is a relational word, not just an intellectual word. Right now we are having an intellectual experience as we study the words of Jesus. But this word know goes beyond just knowing about Him 
to having a relationship with Father and Son. So it is not simply knowing about God, it is actually knowing God personally. So that the person who has eternal life can say, Jesus is my personal Savior. And notice the word no. It's in the present tense. It's something that continues. It goes on. It's a personal experience of getting to know Father and Son better and better. Second thing we learn about it is it's a present possession given by Christ to all who believe. Did you notice that Jesus says, I give eternal life. You can't merit it. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. It has to be received. And then notice thirdly, it is a quantity of life that will last forever in fellowship with God in heaven because it's called eternal life. Most of us know everyone is going to live forever. The issue is not, will everyone live forever? We all will live forever. The issue is, where will we live forever? Either in fellowship with God, because we have eternal life, or in hell, a place of separation from God. Here's what Jesus said about those who have eternal life. They will never perish. He said about them, the wrath of God will not abide on them. And then the fourth thing that's involved, it is a new quality of life. Because it's God's life that comes through Jesus and therefore is supernatural. What is eternal life? It is the new quality of life. Because it is God's life that comes through Jesus and therefore it is supernatural. One of my favorite Bible teachers, D.A. Carson, says this, to know God is to be transformed and to be introduced to a life that cannot be experienced in any other way. To know God is to be transformed and be introduced to a life that cannot be experienced in any other way. No one can have this life and remain the same. It changes us. And as we grow in this relationship with Jesus and the Father, we are changed more and more. When I was in Bible college, one of the biggest surprises that was there was a man who was very, very dear to me. The reason it was a surprise that he was there was the kind of life he had lived as a youth. He had been uh, a drug user. He had been extremely promiscuous. The last person that you would expect to be in a Bible college. But eternal life changed him. It just changed him. And then lo and behold, he began dating Elaine Fisher, one of the sweetest girls in our class. And we just thought, 
Where he came from? Where she came from? Only God could accomplish this. Only God could accomplish this. He became a Chicago police officer, and he was loved by everyone on his beat. And it was an amazing thing. A promiscuous man became a wonderful husband and a father. And a lawbreaker became a compassionate law enforcer. That's eternal life, isn't it? That's eternal life. And Jesus, out of the weakness of the incarnation and the cross, achieved that for us. Do you have that life? It makes all the difference in the world. Let's look at the last part of Jesus' prayer. Finally. Out of humiliation, he achieved the greatest exaltation. Out of humiliation, Jesus achieved the greatest exaltation. Look at verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Do you know what Jesus prays here explains one of the greatest passages in all the New Testament? This morning, a college student came to me and he said, have you heard about some churches that have turned to what they call the canonic theory, that Jesus in his incarnation gave up his deity? He said, have you heard about that? And I said, well, uh, I have not heard about churches that are turning to that, but I said, that is not what the Bible says Jesus gave up. He did not give up his deity. What did he, what did he give up? Well, he gave up the glory that he had with his Father. That's what he gave up. And Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5, explains what Jesus gave up and what he prayed that he would receive again. So turn there with me to Philippians chapter 2 and notice this great commentary that is what Jesus gave up and what he now says, Father, I've accomplished the work. Return to me the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Did you notice Jesus took three steps down? Number one, he gave up his right to glory. Number two, he took on the form of a man, a creature. Number three, he, a sinless man, voluntarily died the death of a cursed man. That is what Jesus means when he says, I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I gave up the glory I had with you in heaven. I took the form of a man, a creature. I was a sinless man, yet I voluntarily died the death of a cursed man. That is how Jesus emptied and humiliated himself. And now because he did that, he prays, Father, give me back the glory. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And God answered that prayer. God answered that prayer. In fact, let's read God's answer together. Join me. Read the answer that God gave to Jesus that he prayed in John 17. Join me. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does God answer prayer? Yes, He does. Did you notice the two underlined portions? I did not underline them myself. But they are the only proper response to Jesus Christ and His work and great victory. Confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord and glorify the Father just as the Son glorified Him. And bow your knee before Him to receive Him as Savior and Lord. For He is the only way to the Father. Brothers and sisters, this is our triumph. This is our conquest. This is our victory. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and glorify the Father as Jesus glorified him. Bow your knee before him and receive him as Savior and Lord. This is our conquest. This is our victory.
Let's bow our hearts and close our eyes. In just a moment, we will sing a great song. It so beautifully speaks to our heart about these truths. But I want to pause and ask you again. Are you a part of this eternal plan? You say, Pastor, how can I know that I'm a part? You can turn to Christ in faith and in trust and repentance. He will give you the gift of eternal life. You will see your life transformed and changed. And you will know my name has been written down in heaven. Listen, you can say something like this to the Lord. Oh God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm lost. What would you ever want with me? But you can say, Lord Jesus, I believe in who you are. I believe that you died for me and rose again. Lord Jesus, say, I, I repent. I turn from my own way. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and be my Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Give me the eternal life that Jesus came to give. Make me a child of God. And then say, now Lord Jesus, because you will transform my life, I will seek to live for your glory. I know I will not do it perfectly. I will fail many times. But by your power within me, I will live for your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. For those of us who are believers, maybe the trials and difficulties and troubles of life have robbed us of the glory of living for Christ. This victory that Christ has won is for our contentment, our comfort, and our courage. When it grips our soul, the least little thing we do as a representative of the Lord has the touch of glory upon it. Even holding open the door for somebody who is gaining entrance to a room is an act that brings glory to the Heavenly Father.
And if living for Jesus each and every day in all the mundane things that we do has lost the wonder, ask God to give you a glimpse of the victory He has purchased in Jesus Christ in all that you are part of. And that wonder will touch everything you do with the glory of God. Lord Jesus, how wonderful is your prayer. How wonderful is your advancing to the events that would bring us life evermore. And how today we are renewed in our love for you our desire to glorify you. To pray for the strength not to escape our trials, but to go through them. And to pray that all the answers to our prayers would be for the glory of God, who alone is worthy of all glory. We love you, Lord, today. Move in our hearts. Draw lost men and women, boys and girls, to yourself. Encourage your saints that we can affirm together. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For his sake we pray. Amen.